Yeah. Welcome to All Things Fresh, the podcast. I'm your host, Alvin Locks. Let's get it started. Before we jump into episode five of the podcast, I wanted to take a quick moment and share something. The word fresh can be defined as not previously known or used, new or different. With that in mind, I set out to discover all things fresh through each conversation with all of my guests. Today's guest, Rich Gordon, is no exception to the rule. He shares a very personal story, one that's filled with struggle and my favorite F word, failure. If this is your first time tuning in, I appreciate you. I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, I'd appreciate if you subscribe. Whether you're on Spotify, hit the follow button. If you're on Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button. And for those of you that are returning, thank you. Let's jump right in. I met Rich Gordon through my buddy, Brandon Ferlin. He is our mutual friend. Brandon Ferlin is someone that will definitely make the podcast soon. But through Brandon, we formed what we're for now calling The Collective, which is a bi-weekly group of folks that meet on Zoom. And really the only requirement is that you're a creative and you're willing to show up and just chat about really life first and then the different struggles and successes that we get to share when it comes to being a creative. And when I first met Rich through the Zoom chats, I was really intrigued by this gentleman. And it's the reason why I asked him to be one of my first guests on this podcast. So without saying any more, I'd like to turn it back to you, sir, so you can give us an intro of who you are and some of the things you like to do. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Um, yeah, the group that we started is really, really interesting, really cool to see that kind of come together um, for a group of creatives. It's something that doesn't really happen a lot, at least not in just like a on a, on a personal setting, you know? Um, I've seen like groups like that you know, kind of come together in maybe different settings, like catalyzed by being part of a church or something like that, or, or a group of some sort, you know, or you're in school together or something. So it's cool to see it come together, you know, as adults in, in that setting. But um, yeah, I, um, wow, or start. Uh, so I grew up in Florida, um, been kind of all over first generation uh, Jamaican American. Uh, my parents are from Jamaica, um, but they were here when I was born. Uh, we were actually in New York. And then we moved to Orlando not too not too long, like a year after I was born. Uh, then, so I grew up mainly in Florida, um, South Florida, uh, north of Miami, Fort Lauderdale is where kind of call home. Um, and then after high school, I went to University of Central Florida in Orlando. And I studied digital media and graphic design there. Got my bachelor's degree in that. Um, played a little bit of soccer for the college, and um, and. Yeah, but I've always known I wanted to do something creative. When I was little, I used to draw sketches and, and draw superheroes and um, make my own t-shirts and things like that. And then uh, I was playing around with the idea that I wanted to be an architect. Um, but then I realized you got to do a lot of math with architecture. So I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. And <laughs> um, But in high school, I remember I started using Photoshop around sophomore year. So this is like when Photoshop was like Photoshop 7, you know, it's like uh, I was in high school from 99 to 2003, you know, so um, it's, uh, and then 
just other things started filmmaking. Um, actually, my senior year, friends of me, friends of mine, we all made a feature film. We showed it in the local uh, movie theater in in the in the town because one of our friends worked at the theater, um, and so we had a screening. So yeah, so it's kind of like dabbled in a lot of different disciplines, not just fine art. Um, and uh, so when I went to college, uh, I studied in this degree called digital media, but they didn't know what the heck was going, what it was. They were still trying to define what digital media is, you know? So it was kind of a free for all, you know? It kind of like fall into the lane that you fall into. And um, I did a specialization in graphic design. So I did fine art graphic design um, along with all the other digital media programs or, or, or applications that were there. Um, and you know, it was, it was an interesting thing because my teachers were a series of teachers. I had like one or two teachers who were working in the industry. Um, and then I had a few teachers who were just kind of old school, just, you know, just kind of like, Hey, you need to learn the old ways, um, of graphic design. And, um, I remember thinking like, man, I need to do something different and I need to make something different from this experience. But along the way. I met up with some buddies of mine. We became friends because of it. Uh, we started customizing sneakers. So we created a company that hand painted custom shoes and uh, around like 2006, 2007. And um, that became a business that we ran for seven years. Um, wow. we, sh we shipped sneakers all over the world. Uh, we tabled at events. We, I learned photography, e-commerce, social media marketing, whatever that was back then, because we started on MySpace. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we took it and it became a business and it was something that we wanted to scale. And, you know, it was just on the side of me, you know, getting my degree and working in um, actually web design really um, is where it kind of fell and found my niche as far as what was paid me. So um, that web design, if we could pause for a second, yeah. the web design is separate from the, the sneaker yeah, venture that, was, that you were talking I, about? I had a full-time job um, as well could while we doing it. Nice. Yeah. Could yeah. we go back to, to the, the, the sneaker business, if you will? Yeah. Because that, that's one of the things that caught my attention with you was when we all individually told our stories on that collective or that creative call. I was impressed by a lot of the things that you have done and accomplished and the people that you worked with. And even Brandon forced you to stop the humble bragging and just go ahead and tell us everything, you know, that you've done and accomplished. And I want to build up to that. The reason why I want to pause with the sneaker bit is as I listen to your story, would you say that's one of the first points or the first point where everything kind of came together for the skills and the different things that you were exposed to, to start kind of um, Making those work in unison, you, you know, you mentioned photography, graphic design. Would you say helping run and scale that business? How would you say it helped you, or 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 or, or what does that mean in terms of, um, you know, uh, experience in, in your journey? Yeah, I would say it's a big a big part of my journey about what I, you know, how I got to the place where I am now, um, because. Starting the business and running the business, um, we it was three of us or four of us, and we all fell into our roles. And so my role essentially became kind of an organizational role. I took more of the business roles. Um, my buddy was really the really professional, amazing, fine artist that was able to make anything look like real on the shoe. 
Um, I could do it too. And I did start doing, I was looking at old pictures of shoe sneakers I painted back in the day. I was like, Oh shoot, I did my thing with the paintbrush. But like, um, my role became, how do we set up a website? How do we take the pictures and market them? How do we, um, you know, I learned WordPress. I learned, you know, these different things in order for us to sell the shoes, you know, what's a merchant account? How do you connect it with an API, you know? Um, and then photography, I bought my first DSLR in order to take pictures of sneakers. Um, that's why I started doing photography, you know, and then after that editing, um, taking my graphic design skills and, you know, enhancing the photos, making them, you know, look pop better, colors pop, you know, in order to sell the shoes and things like that. And then, uh, in person, um, we would table, um, we would set up a table with our products. So I would, I would need to set up merchandise, entice people to come to our table print banners, business cards, flyers, you know, so that's where the graphic design came back around, um, wow. you know, into it. Full so circle. You, yeah, full circle. So it was like, um, and I was still in school, you know, I still had two years of school left when we started. Um, so um, it was like a real world practical application of everything, you know, and um, a way for me to apply being a jack of all trades. Um, it was definitely... Uh, I look back now and I didn't realize that I was calling all these things on at once, you know, but um, now that I look back at it, it was definitely um, a catalyst for me to like kind of see my, the skill sets that I had kind of come to fruition. And I think the main skill set I had, honestly, beyond everything else was problem solving um, and willing to like, huge. willing to learn how to solve the problem. Um, I just remember spending hours, this is before there were like all these YouTube tutorials of like really professional right. Like I had to search blogs and forums and different things to find out how to do parts of what I wanted to try to do and then kind of put all that together because I wasn't learning it in school. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it, problem solving is the biggest thing that I think it, it, I built that muscle when I had that company. Um, and uh, that kind of set me up for everything else. That's awesome. Okay. And, and I want to backtrack a little bit more. You're currently located in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to build, I want to definitely build back up to that. That's pretty much where I want to end the podcast, but you mentioned Florida and I didn't know, I mean, you, you might've mentioned it when, when we first met, but I didn't know how much of your life was spent out there. And, and I'm curious, you know, what does that place mean to you? You know, what, what what are the sentiments that you hold on to with it, or have you kind of, is it kind of like oh, that was home back then, and now California's home? Can you can you walk us through that? Yeah, Florida is a big part of my life. Honestly, I still have my I never changed my phone number from when from when I was sixteen. You know, I still have the same number. Um, I'm connected. You know, my mom and my dad still live in Florida, and some of my best friends are still there. You know, they're raising their families there. Um, so I was in South Florida from about four years old through high school. Um, and then all through college, that was home because that's where my parents, you know, they're separated, but they both live down there. So I would drive. Where'd you go to college? Um, say it again. You went to college in Florida? Yeah. University of Central Florida, which is in Orlando. Um, and when people think Orlando, they think Disney, but it's not. Orlando's a lot bigger than Disney, and Disney's not really mm -hmm. even Orlando. Um, the same way people picture Hollywood when you say Southern California. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and yeah. so um, you know, I, uh, I, it's about a three and a half hour drive from where I grew up, the college I went to, right? So it was a type of 
thing of like, I moved away from home when I was 18, but I could come back every weekend, you know, easy, you know, and just drive back down. So, and I did. Um, and driving two, 225 miles in Florida is nothing like here in California. Like you, you, you there's no traffic. Flat and easy. <laughs> yeah. <It's flat> and <laughs> easy. So, um, so, you know, I, I, so Florida definitely. And the other part of Florida that became a big part of me is, um, the Caribbean culture, whether that's Spanish speaking Caribbean or English speaking Caribbean. So my family's from Jamaica, but I, I grew up around people from Trinidad, people from, from Barbados, people from Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, also uh, South America, Colombian, Argentinian, you know, um, El Salvadorian, you know, like there's just, that's the, the part of Florida that I grew up in, which I don't think is the part of Florida that a lot of people even when you hear Florida, you don't think of that. And so, no. um, uh, but that is where, that's what I knew. That's what I grew up with. And, um, but then there's another part and, and it's, it's interesting because, uh, my parents made it a point that I, you know, we lived in a good school district and I went to private school and, and, uh, then I went to the public school, but, um, because of where we lived, both of those schools were predominantly white. And, um, I could say in most scenarios in my life, also because I was in honors classes and everything, and that's just evidence Dope. of the education system here in the United States. Uh, I was token. I was token, token. That's how I grew up, you know, and uh, in every other setting other than my family setting and soccer, right? Um, but soccer, I was also token for a lot of it too, um, because I played soccer a lot and, and stuff like that. Right. But so it's interesting. I grew up in this like multicultural way and seeing a lot of other cultures, but also knowing that I was kind of the only one uh, in, in, in a lot of scenarios and a lot of situations. So um, I think what it did was though, is it gave me kind of a balanced view, um, a balanced view of just life. And, 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 and I would visit Jamaica every summer. So also I had that view um, different. That's just, so awesome. You know, How many so, times have you been? Uh, now I don't, you know, it's just, it's, been a while. it's a second, Jamaica is a second home to me. Um, you know, and, uh, when I go, I don't feel like it's a different place. I go, I feel like I'm coming home because my family, I have cousins so and aunties awesome. there. And so, you know, although I don't have the accent strong, uh, Jamaica very much is what raised me at home. You know, my that's mom dope. is a Jamaican mom, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, so that's Florida. So Florida is definitely a big part of my life. And I lived in Orlando um, for 10 years, uh, five years for college and five years after. Um, it's a long time. And uh, I moved to L.A. in 2014. So, yeah, so um, it's definitely. That's, that's not too long ago. Yeah, so it's definitely, you know, and, and because I still have the connection there when well, my family's still there, um, you know, it's uh, East Coast. Is, is is what I what I what I say because uh, my sister the uh, my little the sister, tropical part of the east the tropical part of the east yeah but pretty much the whole east coast is humid in the summertime so uh, true true my little sister lives in Manhattan so uh, yeah wow but yeah man okay so we're still on family and I, and I want to still spend some more time here because one of the questions that came up was as you were talking about about your up upbringing and then linking with friends who you started a business with I was curious what was the support or the encouragement or the conversation like as a kid growing up with your family around you? What was the, what was the message being sent to you in terms of chasing 
a dream or working hard or getting that job that you need to pay your bills? How, how did that conversation sound like from what you remember at home? Um, so my dad was somebody that never went to college. He went to equivalent of trade school in Jamaica. Um, Jamaica has a British education system. So um, if you don't test into college, uh, then you go to some sort of trade school. So he started working for IBM. So he's always working telecommunications and sales. Um, and uh, my mom just did like a, um, uh, what is it? A liberal arts associate's degree and has always worked at like call centers or administrative offices and stuff. So, you know, my parents, you know, pretty humble beginnings, but my dad worked really hard to get to corporate America and really hard to get to the level that he got in corporate America when we were growing up. And um, so he would always just stress hard work. Um, sports was something I loved, um, but I think he noticed that I wasn't necessarily made genetically uh, uh, as gifted as some of the other people that I was playing with, but he supported, he supported my love for it. So I, I it was part of my life for, for, and the hard work that it takes to put into it. But at the same time, academics, because coming from Jamaica as well, academics is such a huge thing um, for advancement. Uh, I always had to do over and above, always. Um, a, a B wasn't enough, a C was unacceptable, and an A, did you get an A plus? You know, it was like that. That was the conversation at home. And um, so I had to be, but I had to be very self-driven with it because it wasn't like my parents were, scholars and new like I was doing things that they didn't even know how to to do you know so you were it, you were trailblazing you were trailblazing for sure yeah and um same with my little sister we we're, we're same she kind of she's four years younger than me but she like repeated the path and did better than me you know like so it's like um we we definitely did our thing in academics and then when it came time to go to college though there wasn't any ever like a, a force like hey you need to do this or do that and we both both my sister and I chose creative degrees. Um, my sister's a fashion design major and a fashion designer. Nice. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, we could have been lawyer, doctor, you know, something else, you know, um, because I had the grades to do that for sure, you know. Um, but when I told my dad I wanted to go to University of Central Florida to do graphic design and potentially try to play soccer, um, he supported it. And it was like, hey, you know, this is, you know, I don't know if this is going to work out, but, uh, you know, as long as you have a plan, you know, go for it. And so, um, I love that. That's always been, it was never a conversation of, you know, uh, it, my parents were very supportive and even in, even in the sense of you're going to do better than we did. Um, and, and yeah, it was just, you know, people ask me, are your parents creative? Were they creative people? I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, not at all, you know? And, uh, and, and, you know, but I do remember like just little things. I had a computer in my house because my dad worked for IBM when I was 10, you know? So I was intrigued and wondering how things worked and, and, and how, how to do things. I was the guy that ha was downloading everything from Kazaa and, and, and LimeWire I burnt, I remember I had a business burning uh, Dreamcast game. Save here, bro. You know, like Save here, I found a, a way and you got to get the DVDs and you got to get the, the, the hacker and then burn it. And, you know, like 
I was putting a faster burner in my tower, you know, like these yeah, are man. the things. Same dude. <laughs> Same dude. I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, I man. Love so that. that was uh you know, it kind of just fostered, I think. Um I think it's that you know what, I I look as I get older, I think it's the immigrant story, honestly. Um you come, we're here. An immigrant story. Sorry to, to cut you off. Because I, I, I definitely resonate with your story already. Yeah. I feel like, and you can tell me if you disagree or agree. I feel like it's an immigrant story, though, with the offspring of the immigrants having a, a really solid chance at trying to make something work. Would you agree? Yeah, because although we might not have had the platform of, like, say, money um, to, to prop you up. Or deep roots. Yeah, or deep roots. Uh there is a work ethic that I think is unmatched, um, you know, and it doesn't always work this way. But what I'm saying is, is like, if you lean into it, um, what I've seen is that there's a there's there's a lot of positive that has come from it, you know. And and so I think, um, yeah, that's what I did, because, you know, yeah, people always ask me, did your parents, are your parents? creative or you know did they do this or that and i'm like no and they're like where'd it come from and i'm like i don't know like this is <laughs> you know this was just something I that my sister and i you know sunk our teeth into and this is the route we decided we wanted to go and i think the biggest thing at the end of the day is my parents just always were like you can do it you know yeah. i remember when i graduated college i started growing these i started growing my dread in 2008 and my dad had a conversation with me and he said okay let's talk <laughs> and and the thing is you gotta understand in jamaica although reggae music has made it seem like dread is a normal thing in jamaica it's actually a fringe thing and it's actually less of a hairstyle in jamaica than it is here in the united states and so for my family i'm the first person ever to have dreads in, wow. in, in my last name in the lineage like i've ever you know, and so um, my dad talked to me and he was like, okay, I just want to have a conversation with you. He's because my dad's only ever been in corporate. He's like, you know, when you walk in a room, unfortunately, people are going to judge you potentially. There will be somebody, there will be somebody that will judge you. And I just had a real conversation with him. I said, you know what? Then I don't want to be in that room. I don't want to, I don't want to work for that company. And my dad said, that's dope okay just i That's just want so you to know that and so these are the real conversations that we had also you know as i was getting older and um yeah man that's kind of the kind of how the upbringing that and that's what i was looking for so so thank you so much for sharing that which yeah. brings us back don't think i forgot because i'm taking notes here yeah no problem <laughs> so we now you help build the understanding of what really in my opinion, what really helped you get to this point of starting this sneaker, customized sneaker business? Because I feel like from here, the story changes dramatically as you tell me the steps that happened from here. So if you can bring us back to the uh, the sneaker, what, what's the name of that? Was there a name of that business? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a made up word. Um, sure. Because we were like, oh, let's get creative. And <laughs> now I have, you know, some other feelings about putting two words together to make another word but you know anyways uh it was called diversatile so diverse and versatile put together so diversatile custom okay it's cu not bad custom sneakers you know and um so 
Uh, walk us through, walk us through, let me set that up. Walk us through how, how that went, how it ended, and then yeah. where the story continues from there, please. Yeah, so again, starting in like 2006, I met a friend, I met who became my business partner through a friend just to make flyers. He's like, yo, my homie has a business idea. He might need some flyers. You guys should talk. Fast forward, I'm in the room now painting sneakers, and then we become friends. We eventually become roommates. We eventually have a apartment where the office is the third room. Like, this is how it progressed, you know. And, Florida. Uh, We're still in Florida. Yeah, still in Florida. Still in Florida. Yeah. Um, and uh, so over a span from like 27, 20, um, 2007 to 2014. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it, it becomes something that we didn't know it could become. Uh, we eventually uh, take curated custom orders for people. Um, they would hit yeah. us up, give us their idea. We would send them back a mock-up. They would agree, and we would do the artwork, and then we send it. We do custom packaging, this whole whole thing. It, we built it. Then we we started a screen printed T-shirt line. Uh, so we started selling screen printed T-shirts because we all had an eye on West Coast for streetwear. Um, so what was uh, going on at the time? Remind us what was going on in the West Coast that you remember at that time. So 2003 um, is when probably a lot of these brands got started. Um, you know, like Supreme hundreds, those types of things. And then, so if you fast forward four or five years, they had time to like really gain traction. So what was going on, on the West coast at that time, Johnny cupcakes was huge. Um, uh, hundreds, huge hundreds had like three stores at that time, I think, you know, but, but do you say that, and, and I recognize the brands, but do you say that because they weren't huge in, in the East coast just yet? No. And the only reason why I knew about it was because it was a subculture. Um, they, they didn't crazy. sell over the only place I could buy that stuff was on a, a website called Karma Loop. Um, wow. I remember Karma Loop. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I want to stop there for a second. Sorry. I just want to, yeah. I want to really highlight that point because those type of unspoken or unknown or underground subcultures, it really does not exist anymore because of the internet. It, and, and I know people pride themselves in underground or no one's heard of this, but let's be real, man. If, if anything that you're into is on the internet, it's, it's not likely it's going to remain in this under no. undercover secret secret, you know, it's different. So, it's different. Yes. And those years, I mean, if you think about it, the first iPhone didn't come out to 2007. So I, I was a sophomore, in, I mean, a junior in college already, you know, like, you know, before I got my first, like, and I didn't even buy the first iPhone because at that time it was a luxury. It was like, you had to have AT&T and you had to have all the money to buy the phone. You know, the like, data and all that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, okay, so keep going. Yeah, so, so keep I, going. Anyway, so we all had an eye on streetwear. Los Angeles was like the Mecca. Uh, mm. Fairfax and Melrose was like, that was like my Disney world. I wanted to come That's here wild. and experience okay. it, you know? Um, and, you know, also at that time, I get, became more of what you could qualify as a sneakerhead. Um, I always loved shoes, but I was never collecting, buying the latest Jordans, but I did like work at a sneaker store. <laughs> that was my job um, for a while. And so, um, yeah, all of that mixed in to running the business you know and we were kind of plugged into the culture too because we were painting on sneakers so we had to be aware of what was going on um so anyways around 2012 uh buddy my partner um long story short he started his own company with his wife making 
uh, shoes that look like cake. Um, and uh, they call it a shoe bakery. It was a whole thing because he didn't tell us and things kind of devolved, um, unfortunately, uh, with our company. Um, that was also the rise of Instagram. So right. uh, that changes business completely. And, and, and we're talking for anyone listening who's joining Instagram for the first time and it is what it is today. We're talking about the rise of Instagram like people would just post a photo of a couch or a photo of some new glasses they bought or a random photo of a dog. And we're not talking about the dog Instagram pages you're talking about. We're, I'm saying your Instagram was literally a photo collection of your Facebook or your MySpace. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, Instagram was real like quirky. It was like it was quirky. Why do you want an Instagram? Like no one wants that, you know. But then all of a sudden, all these creatives started seeing, wait, more people can see my work, and I don't gotta. They literally can buy it from me right here through a PayPal link, you know, or a, a comment, you know. And um, Instagram changed the game for customizers specifically, um, and so his business succeeded. Um, because it was so niche and unfortunately he couldn't do both and we built our business on the back of his talent and I couldn't keep it alive by myself and so around that time I got a job opportunity that pops up in Los Angeles so to, to parallel to all of this I've always been working a job minus like one or two years Right. And so at that time, um, I get a job in Orlando um, as a web developer uh, at a college in, in Orlando. Um, before that, though, was some one of the lowest times I've had. Uh, I graduated with my master's in 2011 and in November of 2011, by February 2012, I moved back home with my dad because I have no job, no money, and two college degrees. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, this is, this sucks. <laughs> and um, How old were you? I, I think I was, so that was 2012, so 26. 26. That's a tough thing to do at that age, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially because I've always been, I just gave you, the painted you the picture of my dad and, like, overachievement and everything like that. So my plan was graduate college, get the heck of a six-figure degree. You know, like, I was I, I was supposed to be in a different place. And at this time, and now I decided to get my master's degree. And then it was just a, a thing. And now I'm moving back with my dad, moving back to South Florida, which I didn't think I was going to move back to, you know, all these different things going into it. So yeah, I go back and move back with my dad for about six months on the job hunt. I take like five interviews. Um, oh, also, this is a time where up until that point, the only thing I was doing for about two years was the custom sneakers because that's how it was. It sustained me because I was able to because that's how how well we were doing. This is this is now the downhill slope of it. He had told us he started the company with his wife and like. So now I'm like, well, I can't count on the custom sneakers. I got to do something, right? And so. So let's pause for a second. The, the custom sneakers, it doesn't sound like you're receiving good news on, on the employment end for what's been working for about two years. You're moving back home. You're 26. 
what are you feeling? What, what's on your mind in terms of what you can remember looking back? Failure. Like, also the relationship I was in was kind of rocky at that time. We were like, we like took a break and it, everything, everything. I just felt like a failure. I, my car. You brush over that. Sorry again to cut you off. You brush over that, the relationship part, but I already subscribed to that myself because the last thing you need going through things in your personal life is a relationship not working out too. That also just feels like, can I catch a break? You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, so, so I, I, I understand, you know? Yeah, it was definitely rough. And in this story, we're going to come back to another part and the relationship is part of it too. But um, uh, yeah, just failure. Everything. The AC in my car was broken. Like everything was just like... <laughs> when it rains, it pours. And in Florida, no AC? Mm-mm. No, it, it's, it, it's a struggle bus. So yeah, I just felt failure. I remember I went home to my dad's place and my days were filled with working out and playing soccer. I played a lot of soccer in the evening. I just felt like, man, what am I doing? You know, he's, and my dad was pretty supportive. He was like, listen, take as much time as you need. Um, but make sure that every day you're starting with like a plan. You're going to look for a job. He's like, but it might not break today. But don't feel like because you didn't do anything today, you know, that you, you, you're a bum on the log or whatever, you know. And so I kind of, you know, went through that stage of kind of like rebuilding my confidence. And then I get a call back of all places. Cause I was applying everywhere. I was applying all over the country uh, for jobs. I get a call back for a job in Orlando. <laughs> so I had already reserved in my head that my time in Orlando was over. Like I closed the chapter of Orlando um, because I closed the chapter of the custom sneakers. I closed the chapter of going back to Orlando, everything. And then I get a call for a job in Orlando. And um, long story short, I got the job. I moved back to Orlando, got my own place. Because up until then, I had only had roommates. Um, How long were you home, home, home for before you moved six back? Six months. Not six, too bad. seven months. Yeah. And um, six months felt like a year, though. Oh, it felt forever. It felt forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I started my job at the end of 20. 12 um in orlando moved back and stayed at that job for two years i was there for two years and um close to two and a half years and started to build a life again in orlando and i bought my first car you know i started budgeting i started you know and we started adulting you start you started yeah, adulting we started trying to do the custom sneakers again you know, and wow. started trying to build it again, and that relationship rekindled. And so I go through this like two and a half year span in Orlando where I'm like, all right, we're back on track. But then I get bored. I get bored of the office job. I get bored of of the nine to five. Um, it was good. I mean, benefits were good, everything, you know. Um, but I got bored. I got hired too. I never thought I'd get hired as a web developer because I'm not really, like, I can't code. Is that what you were doing at this time? Freelance, building, like, websites and stuff for people. But I can't, like, code from scratch. So what they hired me for was really, really my front-end design skills to be a part of the development team so that I was, they, because they needed that. Because the coders they had had no design skills at all. And so 
um, it was cool. I learned a lot about teamwork and working on the team and, and, uh, working with people that aren't creative, but they're really smart in like functionality. And it was higher ed. I learned a lot about higher ed, um, the inner workings of higher ed, um, and talking to faculty council, trying to, we had a huge project. We were trying to push a website redesign. So I worked on that project. And so it built, it built a lot of skills inside of me. Um, but I got bored. <laughs> Can we uh, pause there? We're, we're going to definitely talk about the board piece. Cause I, I know what that's like you work for these teams you said things like realizing how important certain people are in in playing their role when when you work for a company like that so i want to talk about teams just for a quick second what are your thoughts on when someone's trying to build a team or grow or scale on the different kind of pieces they need in place versus doing everything on your own and taking on a challenge on your own what are your thoughts on that after being a part because, you know, I look at you as someone that's creative, someone that, that clearly can do things from an independent standpoint, but also can check into like a corporate system and not to say that in a, a negative way and, and also do good work. So what are your thoughts on having a team, having the support you need to be able to scale, grow, see success, things like that? One, I heard something one time and uh, you can't do everything yourself, but the important thing is that you find people that are really good at what you can't do. And I saw the benefit of everybody being able to bring their expertise to a scenario. Now that's really hard for somebody like me. My mom would always say growing up, Richard, you can't do everything. And I have the innate nature of wanting to do everything. And um, or, just, or just naturally doing yeah. it and not yeah. questioning it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the thing is, at the end of the day, there's not enough time in the day for you to do everything. So part of being successful, I feel like is one, having the good idea but also being able to finish the idea and being efficient with it. Because if you never finish it and it takes forever, then it's not effective. And especially in um, certain scenarios. So I, I think saying that though, it is difficult sometimes um, to, for people to be able to like play a role um, because sometimes certain people rise to the top and take credit for things. Um, especially in like a corporate setting, you work on a project and like your, your, your manager gets all the credit or your boss, you know, um, you see things that you're like, Oh, it could be, it could be done differently. Um, you know, or you have to slow down, especially in higher ed, uh, higher ed is a slow process because there's so many checks and balances. So it, it, you have to wait, even though you're like, we could do this today. We could do it right now. We can make a difference, right. you know, but um, so you have to submit to like that kind of, you know, the slow moving and rolling pace of things. And so, um, yeah, so the, but I do think it's about building a team, especially with the sneakers. What I found, what made us successful is that we all brought our expertise to the table. Fine art, my brain is a little bit more technical with problem solving. So if they didn't have my part in it, even though I wasn't necessarily maybe the one doing the handwork on the shoes, uh, we wouldn't be able to sell the shoes. You know, we wouldn't be able to push them forward. And so uh, there's that part of teamwork that I did notice. And, you know, while my resume, you know, may not have a lot of corporate, you know, job experience on there, teams, that's all I've ever done is work on a team, even for the sport that I love playing soccer, you know, team is everything. Cool. So. And we're working our way towards that. So yeah. keep, keep the story going, please. 
Yeah. Where do we leave off? So we left off. Um, I'm back. You got home. bored. You got oh, bored. Oh, I got bored of the job. Yeah, yeah. And um, so so much uh, being a jack of all trades along the way. Um, I also obviously I still did freelance jobs and stuff, and I got a freelance job making a T-shirt for. I think the choir at the church I was in and they recommended me to a guy that made t-shirts. Right. And so I met, I meet the guy and turns out he doesn't really make the t-shirts. He just is like a third party guy that like flips t-shirts, you know? And, uh, but we made he's the, the middleman. Yeah. He's a middleman. And we made the t-shirts and then I started learning about him and we start talking and like we become friends and, and then before you know it, he brings me into this idea that he has to create a nonprofit organization that, is going to help the world and we start a nonprofit called regular hero uh the initial idea was to make t-shirts um sell them and give the proceeds away right um and uh the slogan is make things better and so there's all kinds of things connected to that but that's in the background of me working at the college for two years as a web developer right and so um he moves to la sometime in those years he moves to LA um, and he has connections in LA because his best friend that he grew up with in Pennsylvania is the manager that found and managed the Jonas Brothers and so he moves to LA right so he's in LA for a few years already um, I had visited once I think um and uh so he calls me one day and he's like hey what are you doing i might need you to come to la tomorrow i'm like what what are you talking about like tomorrow what do you mean like he's like he's like phil was the name of the guy the manager he's starting a company um he's starting an in-house creative management production company and he needs somebody that is like, like mentally can like bring all these digital worlds together and kind of manage, manage it and, and do this thing, right? And so he, so he goes, he asked me if I knew anybody and I was like, yes, Rich. And so I said, oh, so I took a sick day. They bought me a plane ticket and I flew to Los Angeles. This was... 2013 now yeah yeah 2013 the end of 2013 i remember because we were going on christmas break um so i flew to los angeles for a day uh took an interview negotiated a salary flew back the next the next day i went back to work like everything was all right and uh over christmas break they gave me an offer and when we went back from christmas break in January, first week of January, I put my two weeks in, um, and I January 18th, that was a Friday. I went. I did my exit interview in the morning. I had my car packed up overnight. My dad flew to Orlando. We hopped in the car and we drove to LA. I got here Sunday morning and started work in LA that Monday. <laughs> Um, yeah, so all the while I mentioned that relationship I had, uh, the person I was with, my ex, she moved to New York and my life split coasts basically within like 
so she had moved maybe four months before I uh, got the offer, right? And so um, instantly, just things changed, right? Um, so we were doing long distance a little bit from Florida to New York. And then also in the mix in this is that she has a daughter that became part of my life too, right? Of um, course, that's, that's only natural. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's layers to everything. So, um, so anyways, I go to LA and the company's new. So everybody's figuring everything out, you know? And so people ask me, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I, it's, it's something new every day, you know? Like, I'm just here, ready, I'm on for this ride, you know? And it's a pretty exciting ride. Like, you know, I'm stepping into a scenario with people that, coming from Florida, I had never knew about Hollywood or LA or, or movie, you know, video sets or anything like that, you know? This is all new for me, so I'm out here like, I mean, I remember my first week on the job, uh, Demi Lovato was preparing for her world tour and she was practicing at Hollywood Studios. So my first week on the job was spent in a soundstage, uh, you know, doing work and promotional and, 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 and social media work for this world tour that she was about to go on, you know? And so you, you weren't hired specifically for the Jonas Brothers? No, because they managed, the Jonas Brothers weren't a group, they weren't, they weren't a group back then. They were solo, and Demi Lovato was on the roster as well. So uh, there were many different jobs, and they were trying to find new people. You know, they were trying to do other things, right? And so um, she just happened to be the biggest thing at that second when I got hired at the beginning of that year. But then eventually it merged into me working very closely with Nick Jonas on his solo career. And so he went solo, and and then... Um, it ended where it ended was is that I was on tour with him um, and I was traveling with him day to day as like a day to day documentarian of for social media and, and, the, and the like. Um, so we were going to record labels. We were going to I was ended up, ironically, spending a lot of time in New York <laughs> where my ex was because the record labels are in New York. You know, the radio stations are in New York. That was a plus then. So, um, yeah, there were times where they were like, yo, we're coming back, but we got to go back to LA. You might as well just stay here. You can work remotely. We'll be back. You know, like it was, it was just like this weird, interesting thing. I'm curious too, at this time, what did your tool bucket look like for you to do your job? What did you always have with you? Because it sounds like you, you were always on the go. Did you always have a camera? Did you always, you know what I mean? What were the things that you always needed to Computer, have? Computer, laptop, um, always. I remember there were times where I'd be designing like this in Mexico city, just running through the streets. Like, like, you know, like, um, so laptop always, uh, cell phone, which, which is interesting. Cause, uh, I remember during that time I was working on like cell phone, like Apple iPhone five, which was, I pushed that thing to the limit. <laughs> um, which was cool back then for what it was. Yeah. And then, uh, and then cameras. So the camera part is interesting because I never owned the camera, but, um, because, my roommates who were the videographers in the production company uh they all used sony and it was around the sony a7 the first one and uh it opened my eyes to something completely new and then they had a, a canon mark III that they didn't use anymore because they had switched to like using the sony so i started using the mark III a lot and i really upped my game with with photography um, and then, uh, when I went on tour, they wanted me to do photo and video. So I carried around a, a, a seven 
uh, A7 Mark II with me. Um, and uh, yeah, that was kind of like, I had a 24 to 70 and a 70 to 200 and my cam, my, my, my computer, and that was me, like I just geared up, you know? Um, and, uh, but that's also simple gear, you know, that, that's why I like that you, your list was so short and you're naming cameras that your average photo film, um, you know, enthusiast already is like, whoa, really? You know what I mean? Some people would think that you, you had a, a camera crew with you, you know, you, uh, or you might imagine yeah, those things, so, you know so, what I mean? So the crews and the type of stuff didn't come till later. Obviously my roommates ended up directing music videos that had $300,000 budgets and things like that. And I started learning more about what the heck is an Alexa or Ari or, you know, Red. Like, I'm like, what, what, what is this, why? And even when I learned about them, I still questioned why, you know, because I saw what you could do with something smaller. Um, exactly. But for me, I was always the run and gun, run and go type of doing the things. And then I found my lane with photography. Um, and, uh, the first DSLR camera I bought was actually a Sony. Um, it wasn't a mirrorless camera because that technology didn't exist, but it was a single single mirror camera. Um, and so it was still like pushing the boundaries of technology because it, it was different than the like the Mark threes or like the, you know? So for whatever reason, I always had an, affi- uh, you know, kind of affinity to something different. Um, and so, when it came time to get my own camera, I actually bought a, a A6300 Sony. And, and um, I'm on the 64 right now. Yeah, and I used a Metabones adapter and Canon glass. And bro, that camera, I still have it. The LED screen doesn't work anymore. And it just started not reading. It just, it just started not reading the aperture, you know, but the things I've done with that camera, um, I have pushed that camera to the limit when everybody else shows up with their full frame and their everything. And then I'm up out here with the, the camera smaller than the lens I have attached to it, you know? <laughs> if there's one thing I hate about today, it's we can't dive into the world you just opened up when it comes to talking about Sony's and working with less, because I can go another hour with you on that. But yeah. just know that this, is, this isn't the first time you're going to show up on this show because we just planted a lot of seeds. Oh, shoot, um, shoot, yeah. Keep, keep the story going, though. Yeah, I think the goal yeah. for today is, 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 to, is to get to, to, to where you're at right now. For sure, for sure. So um, I dropped in L.A. with no experience in any type of production. Um, and I think the biggest thing I learned from my time with the management company was how production works. I, I PA'd, I, I did every area, you know, in it. And um, learning from my roommates was a big thing. Um, they were film majors younger than me, um, hungry, you know, came out here with ambition and trying to do it. And uh, we all got put into a fairly good situation where we were at, you know. Um, and uh, so. Do you attribute that to being prepared, timing, luck, a mixture of all three? What would you say was the, I hate to use the word magical, but what was the magical mixture of, of how that all, you know, just happened to come together? If I never made those t-shirts for that choir and I hadn't met my friend and I didn't start the nonprofit with him while I was working a full-time job, I would have, he would have never referred me to move to Los Angeles. So where I take that from is relationship. Um, it's the catalyst. 
you need the hard work, you need the portfolio, you need the skills. But if you never have the relationship, none of it can happen. And so, um, we're we're speaking to you. I do this thing where I like to speak to specific people who just might be listening. If you're listening to this and you're trapped in your room and you've been studying YouTube and you've been trying to learn from all the greats and you're listening to all the podcasts, especially this one, thank you. What we're trying to tell you right now is get your butt out there or up or away from what you're locked into and go and do, please. Yeah, I agree. Like, I... There were times where I was wondering, man, am I doing the right thing? You know, my dad told me one thing too. He was like, have a plan and execute, even if it's not the right plan. He said, the most important thing is that you're doing something. And so I know 100% if I did not meet the people I met in college and after, I would not have made it to Los Angeles. Um, no matter how good I was at what I did. Um, and so, you know, again, my roommates, I met them and I learned so much. Like, I can't even say, I, you know, they opened my eyes to something that I never knew I could do or be a part of. And, um, but, so we fast forward. So yeah, like 2011, I moved back home with my dad. Now we're in 2014. Uh, I come back from tour, uh, North American tour with Nick Jonas, like bus tour. So like tour bus, I got my first experience with that, that whatever that life is like, you know, you did the roadie life. I did the roadie life for three months, you know? And, um, and it was like, you know how you say you can do like glamping for camping because I was rolling in the a party. It was a, it was it was nicer because sometimes we hop on a plane to, to like cut out the time and you weren't you, you know? weren't the um <laughs> you weren't the artist starting from nothing you were already working with artists that kind of paid their dues yeah and but he was playing he was playing small venues like troubadour and and and, and like you know dive bars and stuff like that so it was still small enough but you know they had budget they could do their thing so um but anyways I get back from Mexico City actually. Um, and I'm sitting in the, in the office now, mind you, the company's new. And during this time, they're trying to figure out what they are, what exactly they are. You know, there's, there's competition a little bit, like Scooter Braun has a similar company at the time and he's doing his thing. And obviously he is huge artists and things like that. And so they're trying to figure out what are, what are they? Are they a production company, management company, you know, like. And what everybody's role is. And so I come back from Mexico and I make a presentation. And the presentation, I wish I could find it. I probably deleted it in my anger. But I make a presentation to say what I can offer the company more. Because I felt like they weren't using me right. Um, I felt like my job devolved into just kind of like a little measly task. And I didn't feel like I, I had, I felt like I had more to offer, right? Right. To the creative direction of the artist, to those type of things. As I hit save on the document and I'm about to go, you know, what? I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some lunch. They come in the door, two guys that were like my superiors at the time. They close the door and they go, hey, we need to talk. 
And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to eat lunch. I guess I'm going to talk about this now. And I go, great, I need to talk to you guys. And I go to open a document and they go, they slide a paper across the table and they go, we need you to sign this. Today's your last day. And I kid you not, I laughed out loud because I thought they were joking. They were stone-faced, and then I realized, wait, oh, you're serious. And I tried to understand. I was like, what did I do? What did I do wrong? Mind you, the job was very self-driven. You get a task, you complete the task. No one's watching over your shoulder. But it's pressure because everything's an emergency. So I never got negative feedback. It only was rich killing it, rich killing it, this, that, and the other, and this, thing. So I'm like, wait, what the hell? What, what happened? They're like, that's not what we heard from higher up. We heard that we just can't justify your salary. Now, mind you, the guy that hired me, which is my friend's friend, uh, he didn't fire me. He didn't say a word to me. Um, and someone else did it for him. So that was it. They said, you know what? We're going to give you your last paycheck, which I had already worked one week into it. And that's it. And you can keep your cell phone. Um, and at the time, I had lost my phone in a car in Miami in a cab. And so I worked out a deal with them to get the new iPhone that had came out at that time. And that was the 6 Plus. And uh, they're like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just keep the phone. I was like, oh, but you got to give the computer back. And so I moved to LA in January of 2014. By November of 2014, I was jobless. A week before this happened, I broke up with my girlfriend of four and a half years. A week before this happened. So by November, everything was gone. Like I was just in LA. Like what? Sounds like a repeat of what happened when you went home. Exactly. And I was like, I'm here again. And I thought this was a dream job. I thought I was, the trajectory was only up from here. And um, yeah, it was just that it was a weird place to be in. Um, and so, but I think what was good, again, relationship, I lived with my roommates who still had their job. They actually didn't know I got let go until they came home that night. Uh, because they did it in like a separate room and, and stuff like that. And I just left. Um, so I stay living with them. We actually move into a new place. Um, I go on unemployment. I drive for Uber and Lyft. I try to figure it out. My parents are like, are you going to come back home? You know, Florida, you don't have to stay in LA, you know, this, that, and the other. Dealing with the emotional side of the end of the relationship, I got blamed for breaking her heart, for end, for being horrible, all these different things that, that play into that part of it. And um, yeah, and it was just, and then I turned 30 in 2015. And so I was like, dang, like this is not where I was supposed to be. None of this is where I was supposed to be, you know? And so, um, I think it was uh, it was very interesting. I came here on a high, and then it like just very it crashed. I mean, that Christmas holiday was spent in the airport because I didn't have any money to fly home. But a friend of the family uh, gave me a buddy pass, 
but I don't know if you've ever flown a buddy pass or heard of anybody flying a buddy pass. You're on standby, yeah. You're on standby and the lowest priority standby. I took three days to get to Florida and three days to get back to LA. Like it just was what it was. And that was just the should state. not be called a buddy pass. <laughs> no, that was just the state I was in, you know, but, um, we move into a different spot. Um, and what's funny is the company, when they let me go, they were like, I was like, Oh, can I just work freelance? You guys don't got to pay me a salary. Give me a 1099. You know, it, I'm cool. They're like, nah, we're going to cut ties. We don't want to work with you. I was like, oh, shoot. Dang. All right. Wow. Come February, they're calling me. Hey, we got a website we want you to work on. You know, I'm like, did you guys have amnesia? But I'm not going to turn away the money. So, um, And my roommates kept working with them. So I got like PA jobs through my roommates with the same people, you know. And, and, and uh, it sounds like they were just really trying to cut that salary out. They were, and they were trying to figure there. I mean, oftentimes what you find is some of the richest people are also some of the most frugal people. Oh. Um, so. You can only stay rich by holding on to your money, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So, um, you know, so, yeah. Uh, so, but that brings me to like how I got connected to what I do today. Um, I had time, you know, and there was an Instagram that popped up called Kicks to the Pitch. And it was interesting. It was like talking about basketball and sneakers and hip hop and soccer. And I was like, that's interesting. That's kind of like my life growing up, but separate. Those two things never merged together. And I was like, this is really interesting. And so the same brand um, that I had followed for so many years, the hundreds, had a soccer tournament at Hollywood High School. And kicks the pitch said they were going to be there so i messaged the account the dm and i said hey would love to meet you whoever you are that runs this account he said yeah sure i'll be out there hit me up when you get here and uh so i go again kind of feeling like a lone ranger i don't know anybody else in any other space in los angeles i haven't been able to make any other relationships really because I was so focused on my job um, that I had. I go, and I'm an introvert, so stepping into a new space with other people is very draining for me. Um, but I go, and I meet the guy. His name's Curtis, and he's like, yeah, I have this account. I used to do this show called Dunk Exchange, which is a buy, sell, and trade show for sneakers. And I'm like, Dunk Exchange? What the hell? You used to what? You used to do it? He goes, yeah, I used to own it. Wow. I was half owner of it. And I go, bro, I have tabled at Dunk Exchange in Florida at least six times because that's where we because tabled of, for the customer. Because of that shoes. sneaker business. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, really? He's like, oh, yeah, I never really went to the Dunk Exchanges in Florida. My partner did. And then he says his partner name. And I'm like, yeah, like, I know your partner. Like, that's who we talk to. And so, so crazy. we connect on that end first. And then I ended up meeting up with him and I basically told him, listen, I just drive for Uber and Lyft right now and I'm on unemployment. I want to help you because I believe in this is me. Like you are doing something that is me. And so I made pitch decks for every team in MLS to pitch the idea of the outlet, which we were a website and experiential activation company. Um, in the space of soccer, sneaker, art, music, and fashion. 
and sent the decks around. And by summertime of 2015, we were doing an event with U.S. Soccer and uh, hit the ground running. And I ended up in 2015 also through a friend. I talk about relationships. Yeah. Another relationship I built because of the custom sneakers is a guy emailed us when we were in Orlando. This is back in Orlando, all parallel to the whole story. He said, hey, I'm making a reality show about custom shoes and I want you guys to be the feature. Wow. So this started in like 2012 um, and uh, 2011 maybe, you know, and uh, we filmed a couple like sizzle reels and he's been selling the show this whole time and our company falls apart and he's still selling the show. Wow. Right. But that guy, um, I end up moving here and staying with him the first three months I live in L.A because he offered up an extra room in his house. We become friends and again, random. His dad is Kurt Rambis, former Laker, uh, <laughs> like Showtime Laker. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I don't know any of this because I'm talking through through email for like a year. And then my dad is the one that goes, what's his last name? And I go, Rambus. And he goes, my dad goes, what? R Goggles Rambus? Like, Rambus that coached the Timberwolves? Showtime Lakers Rambus? And I'm like, who? <laughs> and then my dad. And then I put two and two together, but we had already become friends. And so the power of relationship. During that time I was unemployed, bro, I sat row two at three Lakers games. You know, like I, my buddy sent my resume to somebody he knew, yeah, um, who knew somebody at Fitum, and I got an interview at Fitum, and that's how I get a job at Fitum. And he doesn't even remember who he sent the resume to. He looked back in his email and he looked at the person's name and he goes, "Yeah, I don't remember who that is." That's insane. <laughs> so relationship, and you've right? And you've held on to that till now. Yeah, the Fitum piece. Uh, yeah, that, I still do it. Fitum kept me in LA because the kicks to the pitch thing, there was no money in it. I did it out of a labor of love because I believed in it. Um, it gave me opportunity to like be connected in a world, in the soccer world, take pictures, sideline at professional matches, interview people, you know, that type of thing. But there was no pay, like pay my bills, you know. Um, Are they or is it still something that's not a paid gig or are you now a paid so it worked its way um into being like a retainer for me um, nice, and it nice. steadily grew uh into you know being like a monthly retainer the past two years um that's so awesome still i would say half of the needed income to live in los angeles um and so uh yeah it it just um but I got connected to it and I, I dug in. I loved, I loved the game and I started teaching at Fitum. Also parallel in 2015, I met my now wife. Um, so this is now seven months after I broke up with my ex. Uh, I met her on Tinder. Um, she's my first and only match. Um, and uh, by the next year, Memorial Day, we were engaged in 2016. Um, and. Uh, so things went down and then to like this like 
I could have never wrote the script that that's how LA was going to go. And um, so, yeah, so fast forward till now, I've been teaching at Finham since the fall of 2015 um, in the Bachelor's of Design program. I teach photography, web design, and kind of like design and marketing principles um, in the Bachelor's course. Kicks to the Pitch has grown um, to a website, experiential event company. We work with brands, we've worked with brands like Nike, Puma, Adidas um, on branded content like photo and video, but also events like in a live production space of an event. Um, we were registered in 2018 as an official US media outlet. And because of that, I gained a media credential to be a pitch side photographer at the Men's World Cup in Russia. Um, I was in Russia for three and a half weeks, shot 12 games in Russia at the Men's World Cup. And then last summer, I went to the Women's World Cup, again, approved official US media outlet um, as a photographer. And, uh, and yeah, we built the company up to the point where we were, were working on an acquisition. A company wants to purchase kicks to the pitch. But like everything else in this world in this time, COVID put a pause <laughs> on that. Um, but what I was looking at, so people understand how this all works. Um, I, it was gonna go from me working full time for Kicks to Pitch basically, um, but getting maybe half of what, or a little less than half of what I needed probably for like a substantial salary to live in Los Angeles, while also putting in another 30 hours or so with FITM, right? And doing on the side web uh, weddings, either with, Brando or with my wife and, and those type of things. So I was doing a lot, uh, putting the pieces together. Um, so what I was going to move to with the acquisition is a full-time salary um, benefits and stop teaching. That's what was on the horizon. Um, to continue to push the brand forward, develop um, branded content and strategy, content strategy for uh, Kicks to the Pitch. Um, you know, and, uh, my role is creative director. Um, but I do, again, I find myself using all my skills. Um, I'm the webmaster. I built the website that we, that runs. Um, I developed all the content strategies. I direct content. I pick up the camera and film content. Um, I do hire editors, but I also find myself editing video. And uh, and photography and photography because of shooting pitch side, um, it's become kind of my niche. Like if people were to look at me from the outside in, while I do everything else, um, my like thing is being a photographer. So um, yeah, man, that's the so that's where we're at now. Uh, so it sounds like that last piece. It's on hold. TBD. So Kixabitch is still a thing. It's still alive. We're still doing things in a maybe like a little bit more reduced format. Um, okay. Hoping that, uh, yeah, that we see the light at the end of the tunnel and that uh, I can continue working in the soccer space uh, and doing the things that I love to do. Actually, I have a call tomorrow to pitch a, a documentary idea. Um, Dope. Major League Soccer is coming back, but in Orlando in this like little mini tournament it's a one of a kind thing that's never going to happen again. And so or happen, yeah, it'll probably never happen again. Um, so we're pitching an idea to go cover it and tell a story about it. 
So we'll see, you know. Um, Good luck, man. Yeah. So, uh, but other than that, man, uh, I know we've been talking about on our group a lot about like kind of pushing forward your ideas. You started this podcast, you know, it's something you've always wanted to do. And for me, I've made content now for a lot of people so that they can make money and a living. And uh, um, my goal now is to make content for myself. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I think I aim now, especially in this time, is uh, people just, I have something to say in this space, you know, whatever it might be. It could be teaching something on Photoshop or, you know, just what happens when you're traveling with a camera and this, that, you know, there's like so many stories. So I think uh, I'm, gonna, I'm sinking my teeth into that right now. I'll tell you right now, this first podcast with you was definitely focused on your story, which again, thank you for sharing your story. It's amazing. And I, I know I initially told you through text that I wanted to touch upon fear, but honestly, the, the F word, because this is all things fresh and we will always have an F word of the day. Instead, I, I think our effort of the day for this podcast is failure mm. because you, you really circled back around to that concept and that state of thinking a lot. Because I know if, if, if I know your story the way that you, you, you told it, I'm sure that's a feeling and a thought that really crossed your mind often. So to, to end the podcast and not to end it on a somber note, what would you say to someone who's, who's feeling going through experiencing uh, something similar to, to your previous situations where they feel like it's, it's only going downhill. It's one bad thing. It's one bad thing after another. They know they have talent. They know they're smart. They know they have the ability to do X, Y, and Z, uh, but they just feel like right now it's just raining on them nonstop. What, what would you say to those folks who, who, are, who feel trapped or just who feel like they're going through it? It sounds cliche, but there's something else on the other side. Um, I, I just seen it repeat too many times in my life to not believe that. Um, but the important thing is, is that you keep digging, keep pushing, um, keep believing that what you're doing is the right thing. And you're going to question it. I did. Um, I've questioned it multiple times if I was doing the right thing. Um, but I think every morning you wake up and you go, what's the plan? For today what's the plan for this week what's the plan for this month um and you put one foot in front of the other and try to achieve that plan try to do things you're not always going to get it right and you're not always going to even make the goal um but i think in doing that what i did was i opened myself up for the things in the world that uh were supposed to come my way um you kind of create a magnet of things by doing that and by having that kind of attitude of, of although it's all like crumbling i'm going to still try to be positive in some way and um i went through my hard time you know um depression and and trying to get out of it but i would say that it's such a cliche thing but I, sometimes the cliche things are the things that work <laughs> honestly Amen. uh you know it's it, it's it's so true I, I see it and even now again like we were ready. We were there to sell the company and, and it was going to be a salary and it was going to be great. And then something completely out of my control. And now I'm back here again. Like, 
all right, <laughs> what are we going to do now, you know? But There's a question mark at yeah, the end of this story, and, and which this, is good. You're, you're, you're giving the audience a, a cliffhanger, you yeah, know? Yeah, so I would say just keep going because even for me, I'm keep going right now in this scenario. I'm, and I think a lot of us are with, 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 the, with COVID, especially with creatives and, and things getting paused. Um, uh, it, it may seem like there's no there's no light or there's what's gonna come next. And so with failure, um, step into it. Yeah, I would just say that because uh, it's part of the process, I, and and uh, I've seen that firsthand. So yeah, beautifully said. I think that's the perfect uh, stop or perfect place to to end the podcast I, I appreciate your time again brother we're gonna have to do this again soon yeah man now definitely. I want, now now i want to dive into more specific things that you talked about you know just geek out for an hour talking oh, about man. gear or <laughs> or we can talk about your experiences on the road or, or you know working with uh challenging artists those are the type of things i really wanted to know more about but i knew that it would just it would take us it would derail Bro, the conversation i think i'm sorry i i, I think i've gave you so much to edit now <laughs> no you're good we're, we're gonna keep it pretty much raw so so we're yeah, gonna have to dude. do this again i appreciate your time though bro yeah man it was great man I, I love what you're doing man and and i'm glad that even again relationship that through brando i was able to meet you man and like i think it's a it's cool app we're gonna need to get up in person you know eventually we're all not gonna be in these boxes in these frames correct correct we'll do it soon so, we'll do it soon man definitely did all right well i'll check in with you soon especially regarding the uh, release of this uh, episode but again thanks for your time bro i'll talk to you soon all right cool man peace bye dude later <laughs>